Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Okay, uh, I guess we'll just start. Start. Do we rock, paper, scissors for who introduces the panel, or do you just want to go together? Usually it's the center person who gets the uh, Okay, well, here I am. I walked right into that one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, hi, everybody. Um, It's actually the first person who asks who's the monitor. Yes, that's right. Ah, okay. Well, now I know this on Friday, so I'm armed for the rest of the weekend. Um, welcome everybody to Tuscon, the 50th Tuscon, I believe. Yay! Uh, this panel is the expanding definition of fantasy. Um, I guess I've walked into the moderator role because I'm sitting in the middle. My name is KJ Kabza. I've lived in Tucson for about 10 years. I write short fiction and have been doing so for about 10 or 20 years. My work has been published in FNSF, Tor.com, Strange Horizons, and most recently in Beneath Ceaseless Skies as of last Sorry. month. I have several short fiction collections out. You can get the two most recent ones on the Amazon um, and come to my signing tomorrow at 4 p.m. Many of what I have written is fantasy, and some of it has kind of slid all over the place, so I think that that's why I'm on the panel, The Expanding Definition of Fantasy. And my lovely panelists are. I'm Frankie Robertson, and I started out uh, with uh, some publications in small press, and then I went to indie publishing and I have 15 novels out and some shorter work as well. And it ranges all the way from romantic fantasy to, uh, this is published as Francesca Rose because it's uh, got a higher level of eroticism in it than my other work. And this one is the new book um, that I have out this year. Uh, And it is a time travel uh, romance, so. Uh, I, so it, obviously I cover the, and I also have some other work that I didn't bring with me uh, that is more of an urban fantasy. So I write all over the place, it's all, but it's all fantasy. I'm Jim Doty. I write and publish uh, fantasy and science fiction under my initials, J.L. Doty. Um, I have. 16 published novels, soon to be 20. Um, I am a mix of self-published and uh, traditionally published with Open Road Media and HarperCollins. Uh, and I have a new fantasy series coming out. The four books will be out next year. It's called The Dreadmark Covenants. And uh, you can go to my website to learn a little, about, a little bit about it. I'm releasing the first one on March 1st, and then each of the next four books will come out 
uh, at three month you know, three month intervals. And I don't write short fiction. I, I'm not good at short fiction. Uh, that's a a very challenging type of fiction to write. You have to be good at getting in and and doing that quickly. And I'm not good at that. And, <laughs> and, and uh, I'm much better at just going for 120,000 words. <laughs> well, fortunately, that's not this panel, so I don't yeah. have to <laughs> I tried to write short fiction once, and I, I, it went well, and I, I, you know, after 35, 40,000 words, I was done. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, a third smaller than normal? You know, you're getting there. Um, okay, so I think I would like to start uh, by taking a closer look at this title, uh, The Expanding Definition of Fantasy. I think that the title presupposes that we have a definition of fantasy already in our minds. Good point. So I would like to ask the panelists, like, what is your, you know, your, this is just your knee-jerk reaction, your gut reaction. Like, mm, if somebody asked you, what is fantasy, and you have no time to think, what would you blurt out? I would blurt out that it is something that has fantastical elements, which is not, it's kind of cheating. Because it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it has, it's, it's non-real in some element of the book. Because I mean, all elements, but in some element of the story is not real, not something that can actually happen in real life. So, political literature. <laughs> We're already there. We're only two minutes into the film. I was on a panel a few years back. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was right after he was elected, and I... I think the gist of the panel was, what the fuck have we done now? No, <laughs> I know uh, yeah. you're not going to wake up. <laughs> not yeah. four years. That's right. Maybe not even now. Can, can we gently steer this yes. back to the panel? Yes. So, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, I would have said, take J.R.R. Tolkien and then do what everyone else has done and just rewrite that, you know, with, uh, yeah. but change the names, dates, and places to protect yeah. the innocent. And, uh, you know, I think it had a very, I wouldn't say anything close to that now. It's, it's wide open, oh, yeah. which I think is cool. Yes. Do you, do you have anything more concrete than wide open? Rather than, or would you just like echo what Frankie said? <laughs> uh, everything from Jim Butcher to Laura K. Hamilton. You know, it, it, we, we've diverged a uh, whole, uh, whole, uh, ta, uh, ta, 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 Tad Williams, uh, um, he writes, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the series, it was about 15 years ago. Um, the, um, these people were using, were, were in uh, total isolation chambers and they got stuck inside the computer. It was kind of like Tronish, but it was a lot better than Tronish. Um, you know, so it just, I think we can go on and on and on with different types of fantasy at this point. I think it was pretty restrictive 30 years ago. So, um, so two points that I find very interesting. I'm, I guess I'm the one stereotypical sad sack on the panel because if you shoved a microphone in my face and said, quick, what is fantasy? I would, I would blurt, uh, uh, and McCaffrey, dreamy pastel covers dragons, some maiden with a liar. Fantasy, yeah, let's go. And um, but that's not science fantasy. Um, yes. Andre Norton, science yes. kind of. Yeah, probably. Like if I just blur, but um, so that's like that's like where I'm coming from. So when I so when I read the expanding definition of fantasy, 
what I assume is like, okay, challenge my own presuppositions of what fantasy is. If you really think about it, what is fantasy? But it sounds like my co-panelists are much more smarter and nuanced than that, and they're like already there. No, we're just one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But I, but I want to pick up on something that you said about over the 30 years it has, you know, it has rapidly evolved. So when we look at this, the expanding definition of fantasy, are we, are we talking about what, like, what time scale? The last 30 years, the last year, the last five years? Do we get to decide because we're the panelists? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so where would you like to have our discussion in on? I am not well read uh, when you're talking about the early in the last century, but I think that we could go back a hundred years. I think there are probably I, I, when there was like when was the worm Ouroboros written? I mean, that could have, was that, that was seventeen hundreds. I don't know. That was the late eighteen hundreds. Okay, yeah. so uh, but then uh, I know I go all the way back to some old uh, to reading uh, C.S. Lewis and uh, that children's literature, not literature sense of haiku, but ch many children's books are fantasy. And so, you know, we have talking animals, we have magic, uh, we have, and then what was it, the Gormagast trilogy was technically fantasy, wasn't it? Does it have magic in it, or is it just a bunch of politics? No, not really. No. Okay, so it's just... That was, that was political, that's back to political satire. Political satire. <laughs> and of course, uh, was it uh, Board of the Rings, which was, again, in the sense, it was oblique political satire because they were satirizing a very popular yes. book. Um, but yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff that went way back, but it was all, I think you, you, further back you go, it's like sometimes political satire, sometimes it's talking animals, sometimes it's sword and sorcery, and that's what I grew up with. And then you get to some of the bleaker stuff that I, I, I couldn't, I wanted to read Kushiel's Dark back in the, what was it, the 90s, the early 2000s, but I, people told me that it was so dark. Um, I found it more silly. Hmm? I said I found it more silly. Did you? Bleak. Well, I we're, we're getting down with I found it dark, though. I did find it dark. Huh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then we just kept on going with, and, and then you saw that, like, you brought up, uh, uh, the Anita Blake stuff with uh, Will Hamilton, uh, highly sexualized fantasy. And it, it wasn't. I I, um, I I really enjoyed that series, and the thing that I liked about it was that Anita Blake, she was a necromancer. She had some superpowers, but she she didn't have superhuman strength. She wasn't a superwoman, but she always got out of these horrific physical situations with with smarts. And I love that about that character. Yes, know? she was a very powerful woman. And, and, and her power came from just being able to think quickly, and, and but she didn't have the superhuman strength to beat everyone up, but she always won that way. And I, I really enjoyed that series. But Although as you progress in the series, her yeah. power came from her sexual experiences. And, and that's where I stopped enjoying it. I mean, it was about, the, I was, I. I read up to about the 13th novel. Oh, I, I quit before then. And, and I finally 
when uh, she spent half a page describing the size of a man's dick, I was just, <laughs> okay, I'm done. Yeah, at that point, the expanding <laughs> definition. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't expanding at that moment. <laughs> I don't think we want to go down this road. I didn't mean to take it there. But, uh, you know, I... I <laughs> yeah, but... So someone who... Uh, I, who knows more about uh, her oral analog's life than I do, told me that at that time she had gotten a divorce from her husband and entered into a kind of a, an open three-way relationship, and she was kind of writing about the kind of stuff that was going on in her life. But, you know, it, it took the magic out of the story for me. Yeah. It's interesting um, that you that you both uh, went on this like digression about like sexuality and fantasy. Um, since we're talking about the, the historical trajectory the past like one hundred years, like wide scope, uh, would you care to comment more about general trends you've seen as far as like eroticism and romance entering fantasy, and maybe how that has expanded the genre? I think it clearly has. Uh, there's, uh, in fact, uh, I used to belong to the Romance Writers of America, and uh, we had uh, Jeffy Kennedy come and speak to us, who writes romantic fantasy. And uh, she made the observation that right around 2009, you started to see romantic fantasy became a rec more recognized and acceptable fold of <coughs> subgenre of fantasy, or and, and because it was selling. <laughs> and that was that's the bottom line for uh, bigger publishers or even small publishers. It's got to sell, and so that's uh, it. I got on the wagon sooner than that, but I didn't have a need for it. Uh, I just I was when I first started writing um, the first book in this series. Um, I was just trying to figure out if I could write a novel. And then um, I thought, well, do I want to write fantasy or romance? And then I heard Diana Gabaldon say, well, my agent said that because they were, she was deciding whether or not Outlander should be, uh, should be marketed as a uh, fantasy or as a against time travel uh, or as um, uh, romance. And she wasn't a big fan of romance, but her agent pointed out that the market for romance is about five times as large as it is for fantasy and science fiction. So she said, okay, and we'll go with romance. And, but with the incredible success she's enjoyed, you'll notice that her, her covers over time have evolved to look more, to look less romance and look more fantasy or just look more plain literature. More, more historical. Yes, more historical. And she shelved in literature, not in fantasy. Bookstores, employee. She knows. Um, what would you say? I mean, just if you don't mind me hijacking. No, that's, that's fine. Uh, what would you say about uh, the evolving changes in fantasy? Because I know you're widely read. Um, I would say where it has really, really expanded is into young adult and, um, and romance. And with the romance, it, it more trends toward urban fantasy where it's shifters and you know people who can do magic and that kind of thing um and in 
young adult, it is high fantasy, but it's super dark. There's always a very bad, broken, toxic romance in the midst of it, and I sell a ton of it. Um, the Fourth Wing series, no, I have not read it yet, um, but the second book came out Tuesday, and my store sold 100 copies by the end of the day Tuesday, and Barnes & Noble wide on Tuesday alone, we sold 100,000 copies. So, yeah, it's bonkers. Quickly, I'm writing the wrong shot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say was selling well in adult right now? You said, like, uh, urban like, smut, basically. They tend to be highly sexualized. Uh, werewolf shifters, Disney villains is a huge thing right now. Um, taking things like Lovecraft or uh, Wizard of Oz or those that are no longer protected under copyright mm -hmm. and making them sexy. That's a huge thing too. When you say sexy, um... the curtains are definitely open. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, so. I, I did not understand that there was a difference between sweet and sexy romance until a few years ago. I'm a member of a group on Facebook called Club Indy, and um, about 90, it's, it's got like 20,000 members, and like 90% of the members are romance writers, and about 10% are science fiction and fantasy. Um, and I, I got involved with it because I met a young woman who romance and uh, she started telling me about the difference between sweet and sexy and I oh, okay so I got that you know Kindle featured deal and thought okay I'm gonna try a couple of these sexy romances to see what she's talking about and I'm, oh, oh, oh this was and now this is not a term that I um, uh, came up with but but I read an article about this one woman who was a very successful New York Times bestselling romance writer, and she just she called it mommy porn. <laughs> and um, their biggest market is uh, uh, apparently middle-aged married women. Um, do I have that right? Pretty much, yeah. Um, traditionally, sweet romances are explicitly Christian romances. If you use the term sweet, it's almost always going to refer to Christian, Christianity. I don't know if that's still true. They don't. But the, the writer, that's what we kind of talk about it at work. The, yes. the romance writers in, in, in this group, uh, many of them are former Harlequin writers, and they've, they've gotten their backlist back. So a typical romance novel is about is fifty to 60,000 words. Um, a typical science fiction and fantasy novel is 100 to 120,000 words. And um, they've gotten their backlist back from Harlequin and all these big publishers. And, you know, some of, these, some of these women and men have 40 or 50 things. They've gotten it back and self-published it. And they're making, you know, the poor ones are, you know, making six figures. Right? But um, they seem, they, they, they distinguish very specifically um, 
you know, between cozies. Um, Christian is considered Christian romance, uh, not sweet romance. Sweet romance is meant, you know, what they what they seem to imply, and, and I'm an outsider, so I had this impression just from the conversations in the group, but what they seem to think of as, as sweet romance is, um, is the old style romance before about 2005 or so, where it's about the relationship and, and, and they, this, you, you move right up to the point where the sex is about to start to happen and then the bedroom door closes and that's the end of the scene. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we refer to those as traditional romance. So okay. Sweet romance is Christian. Traditional romance is that kind of thing where the curtains close, and then erotic romance. So they're not they're not called that way. There's no like signs on the shelves that tell you that, but it's where they're where they're shelved. I didn't mean to take the same moments to say that. <laughs> no, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's I just, I, you said everything I think is correct. I mean, I, I am into romance, obviously, and so I don't think you, you had it correct in your everything you were saying. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I think this is all very useful, right? Because we're talking about the expanding definition of fantasy, and if a huge part of that expansion has to do with romance-related fantasy or erotic fantasy or anything that dovetails with that uh, teen drama toxic relationship fantasy, (laughs) like any of that, um, then it sounds like it can't be, if you're a serious fantasy reader or writer, it's not a trend you can ignore. Um, So that being said, uh, if you are a self-described fantasy writer in some way, what are you to do? Do Do you lean into this harder? Do you experiment with this? Do you go your own way? I think you definitely, in my opinion, this is my own little bubble of the world, you have to put romance in your book. You have to put a relationship that has potential in your, in your book. Not necessarily full-blown romance, but I think back to the, the work that had influence on me. And uh, Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Kern, uh, where you have Flor and, and Lessa, and you knew that they were going, they were, they were, they were moving closer and closer together. There was never any sex. I don't know if they even kissed. I can't remember now. But and then in the subsequent book um, was Benor um, and Brett. And you know, and that was also a, a, a had it had the an underpinning of romance there. There's a whole world built, being built around them, but they, they had a relationship. And I think you see, if you, if you look at most movies, whether you're talking about mystery or science fiction or uh, fantasy or whatever, there are relationships. People care about each other, and that is really what makes people, how we work as human beings. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And I think you have <laughs> just a little bit of even if you don't get them together in on the page, literally or you know, <laughs> or not, um, you have that potential for a happily ever after. And I think that's another thing romance the romance writers have, right? Is that it's not a romance. It's not. A, it's not in the, in the subgenre of romance if it doesn't have a happily ever after or a happily for now. And most readers. It's not all, but most readers want to have some expectation that something good is going to happen. Now, if you're writing a trilogy, 
And the story arc, the series arc is not going to be done until uh, the th third book or the fifth book or whatever. You, you don't necessarily, you have a lot more time to develop what's going on. You don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to rush things. But I think, um, so I, I typically, uh, most of my <coughs> stories include both a hero and a heroine, and there's commonly a, a, a romance angle between them at some point. Um, but um, the, in terms of calling something a romance, uh, one of the things that the romance writers that I know of really, you know, if I say this wrong, it'll be it'll be all over me. You know, I, the whole like, especially in um, in sweet romance, it ha the whole story has to be about the relationship. Whereas whereas if whereas I tend to include my story is about it's a science fiction or fantasy, and and if I did everything about the relationship it wouldn't be a good science fiction or fantasy story. It's really more the relationship is, is part of, of what happens as part of the story. And, and it's an important part. It, you know, as you said, relationships are really important. But the romance writers require it to be the story has to be. You're, you're absolutely right. You are, that is absolutely correct. If you're talking about, if you're going to write a romance, the romance has to be front and center. But that's where we bring it back to fantasy, is that then there are these subgenres like fantasy romance, where there's a lot of other stuff going on in, in this book, for example. It, yes, it's very, it's one of the driving things in the, in the story, in the, but it's not the only thing happening. And so, yeah, it's a romance, but it's something else as well. And um, whereas these two are really, they're definitely romances with other things going on, but this is like, the fantasy with the romance going on, if that makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. So I think um, since you brought up the point that you think every story needs to have some underpinning of a relationship in it because that's just how we are as humans, and you agreed that that was a good point, I'm interested to hear some examples from you of fantasy that you have read either before or post-2009 when you said this really picked up where a relationship, what or more, a romantic relationship is handled really, really well. Although it might not necessarily be marketed as romantic fantasy. Patty Briggs. Yeah. Say that again, please. Uh, the Mercy Thompson series by Patricia Briggs and the Alpha Omega series by Patricia Briggs are, they both have really, really strong romantic relationships, but the stories are driven by other things. And it evolves. This is a series. It's got a big series arc in terms of the instead of like you get your happily ever after at the end of the of the of each end. Of, you do get a happily ever after at the end of each volume, but it's not the romantic one necessarily. It took her like four books for her to get together with the hero. Yeah, Alpha and Omega was run away, but yes, uh, Mercy Thompson but the, it was four or five books. Yeah, but well, I think I think when writing. <laughs> When writing science fiction or fantasy, when writing anything, you have a, especially if you have an established um, uh, uh, group of fans, you have a contract with your with your fans and with your readers. 
and even with new fans and readers, you know, people have, you know, this is science fiction and this is fantasy, and I'm, I'm going into the section of science fiction and I want to buy a science fiction book. And if you, if you, if, if you call it a science fiction book, and but you put too much of the romantic angle in it, you're going to upset a lot of readers, and they're not going to be happy with that. I think it, you know. So you, Some you really, you really, if it's science, or if it's epic fantasy, if it's a coming of age epic fantasy or something like that, if that's the label you put on it, and I don't have a problem with those labels. Because imagine a bookstore without labels. Well, everything's <laughs> author. Alphabet, listed alphabetically, you know. Right. I want to. I want to go to the science fiction section, you know, or the fantasy. That's my but, but you, pardon me. I said that's my nightmare. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because people go, where's the science fiction section? You know, well, or where's the fantasy, or where's the romance section? But what I'm saying is, is, you know, if, if you're writing a science fiction book, you can include. I, I think it's good to include relationships. Um, Starman Jones, Max Max Jones's relationship with Sam Anderson was an enormous thing in that book. It was not sexual. It was more mentor to you know student relationship. But you know Max grew because of that relationship. And this is pure hard. Science fiction, which means it's fantasy too, right? And, and so there's there's that relationship. But if you if you make it all about the relationship, people are not. Gonna, I think they're not going to be happy. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And the I think in that regard, fantasy, if the fantasy is the primary genre, you have more latitude in what you can include and how much time you can spend on other things. You and I have to find something to disagree about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can fabricate an opinion I don't actually have. But as a moderator, you should you should contribute just as much. Don't yeah. be afraid to oh, I was, chime in. Well, I was waiting until you were done. <laughs> That's You're never going to have it. Oh, That's never going to happen. All right. Well, then shut up and let me make a point. Kindly shut up. Uh, so you said that um, it was interesting to me when you mentioned the, the contract with readers and saying, well, people are going to want something that's strictly science fiction, or they're going to be mad if it's not science fiction enough, you know, and so on and so forth. When I think about, like, the expanding definition of fantasy and all these different little niches that we have, uh, whether it's sweet romance by one name or another, um, or urban smut, or whatever, you know, however you care to splinter it, um, I actually think that all of these terms are terribly useful because people, I mean, there are readers who only want that one precise thing uh, and they want to know where to get that. So we haven't, we haven't talked about, um, you know, any, any cane thumpy moralizing is the expansion definition of fantasy good or bad. Um, but on the whole, I think it's good because it means, it means more choices for readers and people can more easily find what they want. Um, so I would, uh, I mean, I too would agree with the, um, with your point about like readers have certain expectations and you should be like mindful of fulfilling them. But, um, I'd say anything goes as long as it's clearly labeled and people can find what they're looking for. I, I was just going to say something to that effect. I think there's nothing wrong with writing something that's unusual, but you want to make sure that the reader understands that, that, you know, that, you know. 
it, maybe it's a, a dark science fiction story. They should understand they're going to get dark science fiction. You know, not uh, not Star Wars. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. To some extent, you know, the back cover copy, the flat copy, yeah. should give also give them some idea of what they're getting. I do remember. Uh, I, I absolutely sorry uh, with you know, about re managing reader expectations and and uh, in a way that kind of shaped my recent last book is that I was going to set out to write a uh, a hallmark kind of uh, romance a hallmark time travel thing and I just couldn't keep the sex out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. I th I, the point I was trying to make, expectations, though. but the point I was trying to make was if you if you if you put a blurb on the cover that says this is kind of a hallmark sexy romance science fiction <laughs> story, then the reader's going to think you know some people are going to go that's, that's going to be a, they might not buy it but some are going to say well that's going to be kind of unusual and they're not going to pick it up thinking I'm going to read a science fiction book no, and, and then go god damn it this is not <laughs> You know, one of the things, too, is, um, I don't know if you guys touched on mystery at all, because kind of what, what would be considered urban fantasy, or in some cases, now they're going with, like, straight-up fantasy, but it has a very, very strong mystery. Um, there's a wonderful hard science fiction book out there, if you have not read The Murderbot Diaries, Read the Murderbot Diary. You know, and and that is mystery, and it does have a relationship, but it's kind of in the creator versus robot. It's from the point of view of a robot. It's wonderful. I'm I'm glad you brought up mystery um, because I had also wanted to ask the panelists, even though we've been largely talking about romance and eroticism and other things that have expanded the definition of fantasy. Like, what other trends would you say historically over the past 100 years, or more recently, as of 2009, as we were talking about, were have contributed to that expansion? And if uh, nobody up here said that they also wrote mystery, but are, are we going to talk about that? Or. Hmm. I, I, I may have mystery elements in mind, but I don't think I really write mystery. No. You made me think of Simon Green. Simon R. Green. I haven't written anything in that. I'm trying to remember. It's a really great mashup of futuristic fiction, fantasy. He's kind of a detective, but his mother is Satan. He's kind of a detective, but his mother is Satan. His mother is Satan, and the story is about frequently about him going out to solve a detective situation, you know, solve a mystery, but at the same time he's got to deal with all these supernatural elements that are getting in his way, and try, usually trying to kill him, which makes it more yeah. fun. But that's a great, that's a, you made me think of that because it's really a mashup oh, yeah. of so many things. Has anyone read Simon Green? Oh, right. did, did I describe it right? Yeah. Is that, yeah. is that but it's really fun. It's, it's a it fun is. read, yeah. isn't it? Hell, Hell Hound Detective Agency, too. I don't know if that was a, uh, was a set of uh, stories about that, about where the detective has a hellhound as a partner. You know, it's yeah. like, okay. <laughs> 
Ilona Andrews uh, in, I can't, I don't remember the name of the series, uh, but she has, um, it's, it's fantasy and romance and mystery uh, because the heroine who starts out like the first three or four of the, of the series before her sister takes over the primary position is uh, she's, they have a family uh, uh, private detective agency in an environment where they all, where the elite families of the area have magic. And they have been controlling a lot of stuff. And this family has, the kids are showing up to have the level of magic that makes them qualify for inclusion in the elite, even though they're not too happy about it. In the meantime, she's going about, she's getting involved with this guy who's another member of the elite, and he, she's also researching, she's doing, a, she's doing a job for a, guy, a client who was asking her to investigate some other, you know, supernatural kind of event. So that, I think, it includes all three of the elements we've been discussing. Hmm. I was thinking of um, Tanya Huff's series, I'm not going to remember the name, but they all have the word blood in the title. Yeah, There's yeah, like yeah. blood yeah. price, blood death, blood, <laughs> yep. blood, you know, something like that around like, I think 2000, 2005. Yeah. Like a show a couple seasons, they got a couple seasons called, I think it was called Blood Ties. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I think, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, so all that. Is that Tanya Huff? That was Tanya Huff, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, all, and also, like, Toronto. you keep raising your hand yes. and you keep just talking. Did you have something to add? I'm sorry. I was wondering if something that I thought of before I came, I uh, wonder if you're going to touch on how science, how science has changed the definitions of science fiction fantasy because when I was a kid spending my allowance on uh, science fiction fantasy magazine and Asimov, my family pretty much, it was all fantasy crap. And then we were all standing out in the backyard watching Sputnik go over. Yeah. <laughs> and there was suddenly the differentiation, science fiction, Fantasy, mm -hmm. yep. and you know, in the last hundred years, uh, thinking of H.G. Wells, how much science has moved science fiction and fantasy borders? That is an excellent question. I'm taking notes, so I'm not answering right now. <laughs> 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 I think it's an excellent point. Um, it's not weird. Well, it's more science fiction. I remember thinking uh, and being, reading an article about how um, with Star Trek, the evolving level of their own technology made it more difficult for them when they were creating some of the subsequent spinoffs. Um, I remember when, when Enterprise came out and they were talking about, okay, we need to come up with a communicating situation, but we need it to be less, we need it to be more primitive than it was in the original and classic Trek. But we need it to be more evolved than what we have now. And of course, we all have cell phones. <laughs> that made it a little bit tr tricky for them. And that kind of thing is exactly, I think, is, is part of what you're talking about. Yes. The, yeah. the Star Trek, oh, am I interrupting anyone? I just wanted to comment on, on your question. I, I think one of the things that were science has been playing an enormous role in influencing what we write is that 
with modern cosmology today, uh, we're all starting to see more and more how science is not exact. I, I, most, most people like to, so I'm a scientist, especially in laser physics, okay, and um, most people like to put science in this, you know, two plus two equals four. But if I take 100 mathematicians with PhDs in math and put them in a room and ask them what two plus two is, I'm going to get 100 different answers and not one of them is going to be four. <laughs> <laughs> but cosmology, what, what we're all seeing, I think, is, and, well, not I think, I'm, what we're all seeing, and I think the way it's influencing the way we write, is that about every 10 years they go, Oh, never mind. <laughs> we had it wrong, you know. Oh, you know, you know, dark matter. Oh, that, uh, the universe is is slowing down. We all knew that it was slowing down as it expands, and oh, suddenly they learn, no, it's not. And so now the only re uh, the only the only thing that can explain that is if there's a whole bunch of matter out there that we can't account for. It's like if I kind of sample and make a guesstimate of all the galaxies and everything in the universe, I can come up with this big number for the, the total mass of the universe. And that's about one-tenth of what it has to be yes. for the universe to be doing this. And so they change, oh, hell, never mind. You know, <laughs> and a little tell it. A lot of people are old enough, but you know. That. And so people, I think, are seeing that, that hard science Really hard science. It is hard. It's not, a bit squishy. It's it it there. It's not. It's. I personally believe it's just so darn complicated that we're never going to truly understand it. But we can always understand it a little bit more, and that's all. And that's all. And so I'm perfectly happy with it constantly changing that. But I think you see that influencing the writing in, in science fiction and fantasy more so than what was happening in the 50s and 60s where everyone kind of perceived it as... They thought they knew what, how it worked. Yeah. And you made, me, you made me think of two things when you were talking. Is that one was, so as we change, as our understanding of the universe and reality evolves, the one could say that science fiction becomes fantasy because if you find out that well what we thought we knew is not true but then i thought no that's not true it's because we still look at hg wells as science fiction as, as a time machine for example as opposed to calling it fantasy it might be science fantasy but it might it's really only because it's not tr it's not true that the world doesn't work that way but it was still and i think it really the difference between science fiction and fantasy is that is the approach is the expectation that we can figure this out. There's a way to understand the world, and even if we don't understand it by the end of the book, we have the sense that there is a methodology, that, and there's a scientific method, and we can figure things out. Whereas with fantasy, sometimes fantasy includes uh, a certain amount of schools of magic, where there are rules, there are ways of doing things. And in a sense, it's almost like a science fiction approach to fantasy. But it's also, there's a certain amount of hand-waving in a lot of fantasy, where we're not going to explain how too much about how that, that, that wardrobe transported four children into another universe. <laughs> uh, or, you know, what, it, it, take your pick. Yeah. Uh, 
I certainly do a lot of hand waving. <laughs> Trust me, hand waving is one of the most important scientific <laughs> elements for, for good scientific papers. I'm, I'm interested also in the, the elements of things that like we popularly think of as science fiction, but have just been like grandfathered into science fiction, even though they're they're clearly fantastical, but we like people haven't really moved them in that in that way, like time travel mm -hmm. or like um, you know FPL. Okay. Well, or your choice well, yeah. and yeah. all that that <laughs> science should have said oh yeah this is clearly fantasy but we've all we're all just so used to seeing it in the science fiction section mm -hmm. that we go oh yeah that's totally that's it. all you have to do is say bastion like crap you know inches and then you're there and what was it oh my gosh was it back in the 1930s or 40s when the Lensman series came out by E.E. Oh. E. Doc Smith. E.E. E. Doc Smith. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I loved those when I was a teenager, and a friend of mine said he was he was, he was trying to read it to his teenage sons, because they, they started when they were kids, and they just kept on reading stuff. And he said, that when he got to the Skylark series instead, he said, I just couldn't do it. I mean, it was so sexist. And so, <laughs> so, but, he said, but he will still quote this line from... Uh, from the Lensman series of, uh, of what our Lensman, our human Lensman says to his friend, because multiple uh, races throughout the universe, some of them they have, they earned their right to be Lensmen, which are these special elite people who, we won't go into details, but anyway, one of them is a, a snake-like, uh, insentient being, and, and our human says, attaboy, Wurzel, Long may you wriggle. <laughs> and he posts that periodically. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but I did see that you had your hand up. Uh, you? Yes, so on the topic of time travel, I don't believe it's the time travel itself that would be science fiction. It's the mechanics behind it. If you're time traveling with like a spell or a ritual, then it's fantasy. But if it's like a machine, it's the mechanics behind the... Fantastical element, not the fantastical element itself that is science fiction versus fantasy. That is a fair point. Nobody yeah. looks at Hermione's time turner and says, science fiction! Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, so Stephen Hawking, in the last years of his life, uh, wrote a scientific paper in which he is serious. This is not, this is not science fantasy, in which he is... Uh, trying to prove the existence of a multiverse. And, and unfortunately for him, um, as it, when we have a, a, a space telescope that's like has 10 times the resolution of the James Webb telescope, or maybe 100 times, if we can make certain measurements and they don't match what he predicted, we can prove him wrong. If they do match, it doesn't prove him prove him right though. So <laughs> it's you know it's it, it's kind of an article of faith, you know. It's, but that's, science though, it, you can disprove. It. Pardon me. I said that's science though that you can disprove. It. Yes, make it falsifiable. Yeah. Um. It, 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 so now, oh boy, let's not get to <laughs> But if. <laughs> You make the measurements, and they do match yeah. the cosmic microwave background signature that he predicted. That's yes. what he said. Yeah. Then you don't prove him wrong, but you haven't proven him right, so you can't not predict it. Right. 
Right. What? <laughs> <laughs> we are actually nearing the end of our time, so maybe we should just put that on. I have no idea what I just said. We'll just scratch that. Um, so that we have like five or ten minutes at the end, so people, so we can clear out and move to our next panels or whatever. Um, I'd like to wrap things up now-ish and ask our panelists if you have any thought on where the expanding definition of fantasy is going next. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but give me the floor and I'll talk. I had one thought before we even came into this, and the kind of definition was with vampires and things coming on the scene, um, that that implies that that changed everything. But 40 years ago, Andre Norton was writing the Dark Over series, which is a, a mishmash of space yeah. travel yeah. and yeah. magic and yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Marion Zimmer Bradley. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Marion Zimmer Bradley was writing this mishmash yeah. of space travel. Thank you for correcting me. We do have something to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so... There has been, going back 40 years, there's been all sorts of variations on fantasy and science. So I don't think it's a new thing. I, no, you know, I think mismatch has always been there at some point or other. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think it's a new thing. So. Well, that sounds very smart, so I'm going to half copy what you said. <laughs> and I'm going to say that I don't know where the expanding definition of fantasy is going, but we'll have been there before, but when we get there, it will be new to us. <laughs> End panel! <laughs> Thank no you, one recorded that, right? They'll hold you on what you said on science. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.